following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Psalm 80, 1 through 7, but you guys probably knew that before I did. To the leader on lilies, a covenant of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us scorn our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hope, of God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And now I will read for us our text for today. And this is Luke 1, 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women! And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of the Lord. (laughs) You want to hear something funny? My sermon notes are on the printer. Um. Would you like me to wing it, or would someone like to go get it? Four people just stood up and... (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yikes. I only do one type of improv, and it's long form. (laughs) Thank you, Del. Oh, my goodness. So I've been doing these... um, during Advent, these little mini-reflections, and sometimes they connect to the rest of the sermon that I want to give, and sometimes they don't, and that's been kind of fun, um, for me anyway. Uh, So the first week, you might remember, if you're here on the first Sunday of Advent, I talked about uh, the idea of active waiting versus, you know, maybe like spiritually sitting on the couch, you know, sipping hot chocolate and watching the lights twinkle, like something a little bit more intentional in the way that we wait for Christmas to come. 
And then in the second week, I uh, had my obligatory once-per-series word nerd moment um, because it was the, the idea of preparing the way for the Lord, that whole thing from John the Baptist, who we'll encounter again a little bit today, uh, in utero at least. Um, and the idea of preparing and how you can change the verb tense of that word and have different meanings and different emphases that you could take during Advent. So you could use prepare as sort of a future tense thing, like I'm going to prepare. Or you could use prepared, like the Boy Scouts say, um, or just the Scouts, I guess they're called now. Um, Be prepared, as in it it should already have happened. And then there's the one where I find myself anyway, which is preparing. Always preparing and never prepared. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's an interesting way to think about getting ready for Jesus to break into our world in one way or another. Um, And then that week we actually also did a whole... um, spiritual exercise of of reading the scriptures and praying through them. And then last week, I talked about something my spiritual director had uh, given me, which is the idea that the season of Advent is kind of like God tapping on the window pane of our house. The house is our soul, or whatever. right? Um, Rather than pounding on the door or picking the lock, God sort of taps on the window and just says, hey, are you being still enough to listen to even hear me trying to get your attention in this season. And then we looked last week uh, um, at the poetry of John the Baptist's fiery sermon, which was really fun for me. I hope that some of you liked that as well. Um, And by the way, all all these little reflections that I've come up with through the season of Advent, they're just based on my own experiences with the Bible. Um during the week when I was preparing. Uh, and there, so there's nothing too fancy about them. It's just me kind of trying to invite you into the same type of experience that I had with some of these seasonal Bible texts. And this week, I'm going to do a similar thing. But don't worry, introverts. We will not be doing the sharing moment in today's service. For some people, um, the four scariest words in church are, turn to your neighbor. <laughs> right? And uh, I... I just want you all to know, in the parlance of the day, I see you. Um, If I were sitting facing this way and the pastor said, turn to your neighbor, I would be turning to the coffee station or to my keys. (laughs) And yet, from this side of things, I think it's a really wonderful thing to do sometimes. But not today, I promise. Um, So those of you who don't like that stuff, you you never fear. Um, I hope that the amen in Zoom was not... Okay, that's from a few minutes ago. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So this week's little mini-reflection, I I want you to think about the characters in the story of today's gospel reading. And you may say, it's the Magnificat. It's Mary's song. There's really just the one character. But did you notice there's a little prequel there? And it's interesting, if you look at the lectionary texts today, for this week, they give you two versions of the gospel reading. One without this prequel and one with it. So one is just the Magnificat and one has the setup. And of course, you know, I always want the setup. And so I want to read just those, those verses that are part of the setup. And uh, we can throw them back up on the screen for folks to follow along with if you'd like. Uh, this is just verses 39 through 45 of Luke chapter 1. And I want you to notice how many characters there are in, the, in this part of the story. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Did anybody count on your fingers how many characters we have in this part of the story? Okay, I see somebody holding up five fingers. Another five. Anybody? Oh, someone has seven. Wow. Interesting. Let me give you the ones that, that I see, and then if I miss any, you can tell me. So we have Zechariah. He's not actually in the story exactly, but it says it's Zechariah's house. And Zechariah, if you didn't know, is Elizabeth's husband. He's John the Baptist's father. And he was a priest. And he actually uh, doesn't say anything in this story because he was unable to speak at this moment in his life. Um, the angel that came to tell him that his wife would um, bear a child, uh, he didn't believe the message. Um, if you read it, it's kind of like a, really? Are you sure? Sort of disbelief. But that was enough for the angel to say, um, you're not going to be able to speak until the child is born. So Zechariah doesn't say anything. Um, but it's his wife Elizabeth is in the story. Okay, so that gives me two. Elizabeth, who had this, Elizabeth had this amazing double gift in her life. Did you see both parts of the gift? The first part is that she's having this um, long-awaited, semi-miraculous pregnancy. And the second gift was that her pastor husband was going to be unable to speak for months. <laughs> Tracy's been praying, but... Um, the Lord tarries. <laughs> so Zachariah and Elizabeth, who else do we have in the story? We have John the Baptist, right? In utero, leaping in the womb when Jesus gets near, in the womb of Mary. And we have Mary. So I'm up to, is that five? Now, I need to know, who are the other two? Would you mind sharing with me? The Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, okay, so Jesus, I, maybe I counted wrong. Zechariah. Elizabeth, John, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Mary. How could we forget Mary on the day of the Magnificat? I didn't forget Mary. Mary's kind of the main attraction. We're going to get to Mary's song next. Um, <clears throat> so the question here, the, the, the reflection that I, that I would encourage you to do, and the neat thing is you can do this with any, any part of the Bible that has a story in it that has characters, which is not all of the Bible, but it's a lot of the Bible, is to think about which character in the story you most closely identify with in this moment in your life. Now, you could do this with this passage of Scripture today and have one answer, do it next year on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we'd have it, you'd have a totally different answer. But which character do you identify most with? Maybe you're, maybe you're in a, a Zechariah place right now where you've doubted God's promise. It's been so long that you haven't seen it fulfilled um, that, that when something good is about to come, you, won't, you can't even believe it. Maybe you are actually speechless at something good that's happening in your life. Maybe you're Elizabeth. And I see, you know, the neat thing about this too is that you can see these characters from all kinds of different directions. What I see in Elizabeth right now is her 
naming the blessing in someone else. She has her own blessing, and yet she's entirely focused on the blessing that Mary has, which will be the blessing for the whole world, and in turn will be her blessing again. She says, blessed are you among women, and that makes it into a pretty famous prayer. Maybe you can't believe the things that you get to witness in the world. Maybe you are like John the Baptist. You're, you're kind of undeveloped still. Right? There may be big things in your future, but right now, there's not much happening. But you're leaping with excitement at the presence of Jesus. Maybe you see yourself in Mary, about ready to um, spit bars. <laughs> right? Mary is about to go off with this beautiful, prophetic song. And maybe you have this fire in your spirit and in your belly. We probably want to be careful about saying that we identify with Jesus, right? Except, that's a, that's a pretty Protestant way of looking at it. And today's going to be an unsettling your Protestantism day. <laughs> you know, the Eastern Church is really wonderful at this idea that the incarnation which is to say God taking on a human form in the person of Jesus is not just about God identifying with people. It's a two-way street. And in the incarnation, we are able better to identify with God and to access the divine aspect of our human nature. After all, we are made in God's image. And so... Identifying with Jesus doesn't mean you have to say that you think you're the savior of the world. It can mean that you are becoming aware of the presence of God in your life, of the divinity that you carry in your very being. It can be that you are aware that you have some difficult work ahead of you, that you actually have to lose your life in order to save it. That'd actually be a pretty good thing to think about. So, Again, this is just a simple little reflection. If you are, find yourself bored with the scriptures or like you can't get them to break any information into your heart or your brain, you've tried to read the Bible, you're just not finding it, play with it a little bit. Open up the Bible, find a story that's happening, imagine the characters and see which one you identify with. And I think that kind of thing will be likely to, to give you a new way of thinking about the Bible. It's one of those tricks that I can use sometimes when I feel sort of stuck uh, in my own Bible study. So, I want to talk briefly about the Magnificat, this vision uh, from Mary, um, which is named, as so many poems and songs are, for the first line or the first words of it, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I don't know if this will ring true for um, all or, or even any of you, but I have to say that growing up, I was a church kid, capital C, capital K. I was not a pastor's kid, but I was a church kid. I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and often other times as well. And it was a 25-minute drive for, for us out in the country to get to this uh, church that we attended. So I was a church kid. I heard hundreds of sermons growing up. I don't recall ever hearing a single sermon about the amazing song of Mary. Not one that I can recall. Anybody else? 
grow up in a Protestant church and never hear the Magnificat preached in a sermon? It's unbelievable to me because it is so, you know, I know from my theological studies that it's so indisputably important to the church's understanding of the world, in the early church especially. And also, if you don't mind my saying, it's really, it's a pretty badass little song. And I can't help but wonder if the preachers of my youth were avoiding this song of Mary partly because they thought it was too Catholic. Don't get too close to Mary because you know those other people think that she's on par with Jesus. It's not what they actually think, but you know what I mean. Come to think of it, I don't recall a single sermon about Mary at all. The only thing she ever did was sit next to Joseph in front of that manger for one night a year. And that's a shame. Now, I'm not saying anybody in my church was anti-Catholic. I actually never heard anybody say a single thing overtly, you know, like seriously against Catholicism. But that kind of, uh, in that kind of conservative evangelical church, that is basically baked into the cake. We, we have to steer clear of all the Catholic stuff because there's been so much tension between these two groups historically. And it's like, you know, the, the families in Romeo and Juliet, it's escaping me, the Capulets and the Romulans, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, that's Star Trek. I'm sorry. Um, but there's this divisiveness between these groups that the people who live today don't even really know why it's there, and yet it still persists. Anyway, my other theory <laughs> about why the Magnificat was not preached in my, my church is that uh, that was a very conservative environment, politically speaking. And this song... Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know if you were listening when Kristen read it a minute ago. This is one of those passages that if you read it to certain people out of context, in other words, not telling them that it was from the Bible, <laughs> you might get called a Marxist or something. Try it. If, you're try- if you'd like to... <laughs> we're, we live in a world where we're not stirring up enough stuff on Facebook, right? Just put it on Facebook. Like, Put it in front of like a a red background or something. (laughs) Just the words and see what happens. No, don't do that. You should not bait your... Oh, my goodness. So I want to talk about the vision of the Magnificat in general terms and then in Advent terms because we are, after all, in this fourth Sunday of Advent. What this song gives us a picture of is the proud, scattered, in the thoughts of their own hearts. This song gives us a picture of the hungry being filled with good things, but not just that. Also of the rich being sent away empty. Told you. This vision, you cannot separate it from Jesus, because he's right there, literally in the body of the person praying this prayer, singing this song. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones 
and lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. If you don't like that vision of the world, I don't play this card very often, but you need to take it up with the Lord. (laughs) Or at least his mama. (laughs) And the flip side of that is if you do love Jesus with all your heart, and I know that some of you do, including those of you who might struggle with this vision of the world, if you love Jesus... I think it's actually time to start to get comfortable with this vision of the world. And the whole thing, we cannot miss this. That's why we sang the song a few minutes ago, By Thy Mercy. The whole thing is cloaked in God's mercy. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And this whole vision is delivered by a woman in the ancient Near East. And not just a woman, a very young woman, probably a teenager. Probably be more appropriate to call her a girl. This girl which is not all the way down to the lowest you can get in the caste system of the ancient Near Eastern world, the Roman Empire, but it's pretty far down there, delivering this particular message. I don't think we recognize how provocative that is very often. And depending on your station in life, it's, it's, it's either really inspiring or fear-inducing. And listen, you want to know the number one way that we Americans have trouble reading the scriptures? It's that we see ourselves as the underdogs. The scriptures, the story of the scriptures is the story of God's people being saved by God because they're always the underdogs. And we see ourselves culturally in that position, and it's complete nonsense because we are not the underdogs in the world. People who look like me are certainly not the underdogs in American society. And we have to be really, really, really careful that we don't assume that we're the Israelites when we're actually the Egyptians or the Romans or the Babylonians. You understand what I'm saying? It's nothing to do with those particular countries or cultures. Those were the empires that conquered God's people and treated them badly and oppressed them. So when you read Mary's song, you've got to be really careful that you don't kind of pretend that you're in Mary's shoes. Because you have to be at least open to the possibility that you're actually the one sitting in the palace that you're actually the one who's high up, that you're actually the one who has plenty already, that you are actually the one who is rich, who's about to be sent away empty. And then this song becomes a lot less comfortable. And it's going to take some work before we can get back around to it being inspiring to us, isn't it? But... 
I told you I wanted to talk about it both in general terms and in Advent terms. That's the general terms. Now let's talk about it in Advent terms because this vision, when taken in light of the season that we're in, which is a season where we focus on waiting, where we emphasize being in the dark, where we emphasize not knowing, not understanding, not having all the things that we hope for come to fruition in the world. That's what the season of Advent is about. And, and by the way, if it is your first December with us at Artisan, you may be wondering where all the Christmas carols are. Actually, if it's your 15th December with us at Artisan, you might still be wondering where all the Christmas carols are. I do get those letters. Um, and I read them carefully. <laughs> but it really is by design. It really is by design that during the season of Advent, we stay away from mostly from the Christmas carols. Now, a couple of them slip in here and there, and that's totally fine. We're a little short on band leaders right now, and if a band leader wanted to lead during December and wanted to sing a Christmas song, you know, they have all the leverage. <laughs> so that might have happened, and that's okay. That is okay. <laughs> but... It's not just to antagonize you. It really is to help shepherd you through this season where where I'm trying to force you into that place of anticipation, of waiting, of the lack of fruition, if you will. Because I think it's important for us as a community of faith to make space for the experience of sitting and waiting in the darkness. There is enough happy, happy, got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart experience in the Christian church right now. This is a season, and Lent would be a similar one as we lead up to Easter, where we deliberately say no to that and allow ourselves to feel our feelings. And if you really want to hear Christmas carols, you can just go to Target. It's fine. So regarding the vision of the Magnificat, in the context of Advent, in that context of waiting, my question is this. Hearing the song of Mary ringing in our ears, and then looking around in the world, do we see it? Do you see all of this when you look around in the world around you? Maybe? Some places? I do not see it widespread. in this apparently never-ending pandemic that we're in. People who are poor and hungry have gotten poorer and more hungry. People who are rich have gotten even more rich, particularly people who are obscenely rich. You know, some estimates are that billionaires added 70% to their net worth during the pandemic. That doesn't sound like the rich being sent away empty to me. I don't see a whole lot of the powerful being struck down and the lowly being lifted up in our world today with authoritarianism on the rise pretty much everywhere including in democratic nations with systems that were designed long ago to keep entire classes and categories of people marginalized, still working exactly the way they were intended to work. When we live in a country with literally the highest incarceration rate in the world, 
Those things don't sound to me like the lowly are being lifted up in accordance with the song of Mary. And yes, there are certainly glimmers of hope. And that has to be part of Advent too, right? It's not a season of wallowing. (laughs) It's a season of waiting. We can see the light appearing in the distance perhaps. But I have to be honest with you, sometimes it does not feel like quite enough to me. There's a dissonance that I, that I notice between the words of this song, the expression of God's presence that Mary understood herself to be bearing into the world and with the actual world that we observe. You know, it, it's a song that doesn't quite rhyme at the end of every line, if you know what I mean. Some of you are like, man, it's getting late and he hasn't given us what to do with this. How do we solve this problem? What do we do with this dissonance, with this magnificat that doesn't rhyme? Well, we could just keep waiting. It is Advent, after all, for a few more days, right? And I'm not being entirely facetious about that because sometimes just waiting is the right thing to do. Sometimes you do need to sit with it for a while. Sometimes you have never been aware of it until... It's pointed out to you. That was certainly the case for me. And it still is, day after day, new things being pointed out to me. And I need to sit with them for a while. But often, I think the better response to being made aware of just how much has not yet been set right is to get to work. Setting it right. And so if I was to give you one concept, as we transition from the season of Advent, of waiting to, this, to the day of Christmas, and actually the church observed Christmas as a season as well. I'll spare you the Christmas carols in January, but that would be legitimate according to the church calendar. As we transition from a season of waiting to a season of joy, can we make it not just a passive joy, not just a blinky light joy, but a joy that activates us in our hearts and in our bodies and in our societies to be part of the work that God wants to do. Because I just don't think it usually works out that you sit there and do nothing and God takes care of everything for you. Don't confuse the grace that God offers you, for which you can do nothing to earn, which you can do nothing to earn. Don't confuse that with the idea that you have to participate with God in the making of all things new, in the recreation of the world. And this is what I think Mary's song calls us to. It gives us a vision of what God's mercy looks like on the ground. It's an an unfulfilled vision. But we can make it our mission to fulfill it, to bring it about. It's a tall order. And it sometimes requires a total reorientation of how you even think about what it means to be a Christian. But that's okay. A lot of us have been through that and made it out the other side. You can do it. And it's, it's actually a nice little bonus because I know there's always people in the room who are not religious, who are not Christians, who don't believe in this virgin birth or this resurrection or in God at all. And I hope that you feel welcomed in this place even though you don't necessarily share the beliefs and say the creed along with us and that kind of thing. But the beautiful thing about a passage like this is that you actually don't have to believe anything supernatural 
to begin to apply it to your life and hopefully to have it make a difference, not only in your individual life, but in the world around you. Because you can look at this vision and say, I'm not sure about the God stuff, but I sure would like to see a more just society. Maybe I can link arms with these weird Christians and do something with them together. And I will be right there with my elbow ready for you. I think that's enough. Because to get more specific right now in this particular moment is to probably oversimplify it. We have a lot of work to do in our world. I believe as Christian people we're called to be doing it. And if this community is not activated in that way, um, we need to be called on the carpet. And sometimes that's going to be me talking to you, and sometimes that's going to be you talking to me. Uh, I hope that we all have permission to do that. May God be with us, alongside us, in front of us, behind us, beside us, and for us, as we seek to live out the justice that we see in the Song of Mary. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.